0: If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Judges chapter 17. I've been working ahead. I've purchased commentaries for our next series. We're going to be in Genesis. We're not going to do anything for Genesis today, but my first book came in the mail today. So once I got done prepping for tonight, I started reading my Genesis commentary. And it's just exciting. So we'll probably start that last week of August or first week of September. Um, having said that, there's also um, the potential for a Q&A. If I have enough questions, I will do a Q&A on the book of Judges. I know that the book of Judges um, brings up a number of passages that might bring up questions in your mind. And so if you have questions that you want to be answered in a formal setting, let me know. I've only had really one question come up, um, and I'm not going to spend a whole day... Addressing that one question. So if there's more questions, I'll spend an evening just kind of answering questions and working through some of that. If not, I'll just answer it um, either in writing or maybe I'll do a video or something, send you a YouTube link, something weird like that. All right. Judges chapter 17, religious decline. Americans love do-it-yourself projects. And I I, I love the idea of do-it-yourself projects personally However, I don't feel like I have the skills to do uh, most of the around-your-house-do-it-yourself projects. I just don't have that tool belt, um, both literally and um, you know, figuratively, because I just don't have that many tools, and then I don't really know how to use them if I did have them, um, but anyways... When you do a do-it-yourself project, and you get on Pinterest, and you're like, I wonder how I do this, and you look it up, there's instructions that come with it. And as we go through this section of the book of Judges, they're going to do-it-yourself religion on us, and as they do it yourself, they just throw the whole manual, the whole instruction book on how you're supposed to approach God and true worship out, and they just completely do what is right in their own eyes. So we began the book of Judges with them talking, and they're doing quite well, especially at the very beginning, and you begin to see that there are problems and there are kinks in their armor. And then as you go through the book, you start off with really good judges, and as you've seen over the last two or three judges, they've just got to a point where we're in huge moral decline. And what's going to happen in uh, Judges chapter 17 and 18 is you're going to see religious decline so what should be high um, value and respect for the office of the priesthood and for how we approach God in worship is going to go through serious decline and then we're going to see um, more decline in the next section of the conclusion so it's just showing a culmination what happens when we choose to to live life according to our own standards instead of looking at what is God's standards for how am I supposed to live and then living that way. The big idea then is do what is right in God's eyes, which is exactly what the people in this story are not going to do. They're going to do what is right in their own eyes, and the text is going to repeat that idea over and over again and really hammer it home. A do-it-yourself religion starts. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we dive into our text. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the ability to come and to study your word. We pray that as we look at your word, that it would uh, challenge and be instructive to us. We pray that we would not simply hear, but that as we hear your word presented, that we would see areas in our lives where we are Uh, doing what is right in our own eyes, and that we need to change and seek to follow your will for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So Judges chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, introduces this idea of a do-it-yourself religion, and it's established. In verses 1 through 2a, Micah confesses he is a thief. And we're just kind of introduced to these characters without any real uh, introduction, Like other times, you've had the narrative of they sinned, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice how they've always said that. Throughout the whole major six cycles, every time it's they did evil in whose sight? In the sight of the Lord. And then when we get here, they're doing what is right in whose eyes? In their own eyes. So he's emphasizing how we look at different things. Micah confesses that he's a thief, though. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you put a curse, even saying in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. So the son, Micah, goes to his mom and he tells his mom, You know, mom, that eleven hundred pieces of shekel, and that's a lot of money, if you remember... 1100 pieces of silver was offered by each one of the lords of the philistines to delilah okay and we talked about that and it was 5500 shekels of silver it was probably around what would be equivalent to about 15 million dollars today so one third of that's like three million dollars so she got a lot of money stolen from her and her son comes up to her and goes you know that was me the curse then is on me and so, how does the mom approach the situation? Her son has just confessed to, you know, uh, robbery at such a high degree that it would be a federal crime. It's not just, you know, like a slap on the wrist. This is a big deal. His mother asserts the Lord's blessing on his life, and his mother said, "May you be blessed by the Lord, my son." It's interesting. One of the problems that we're going to have throughout this whole section of the conclusion is that the Lord is paid service, but it's only lip service. He's mentioned over and over again, but when we actually look and see, what are these people doing? It's not anything that God would honor. It's not anything that God would appreciate. And so she tells her son that God bless you and take away the curse because she doesn't want her son to be hurt. And what happens then? The mom then gives the silver to the Lord for a do-it-yourself project. In verse 3, so when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. Okay, so the, the silver is being dedicated to who? To the Lord, to Yahweh. Why? What is the silver going to accomplish? To make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you so she gets the money back and she says oh no my son take this money and make a carved image and a graven image and what does he do notice once again the gift is the lord but the lord does not want idols so it's just over and over again you see that the lord has paid attention to but he's really not in the center of these people's lives it's just lip service this is what we're supposed to do, so we do it. We, we talk about God, so we talk about God. And it's always in our speech. It's flowing out of their speech, but it's not really truly in their hearts. It's just what flows out of popular culture. That's how they're supposed to talk, so that's how they talk. And so what does he do? Micah's shrine gains an idol and a temporary priest. In verses 4 through 5 then, Micah's going to take this gift from his mom, And he's going to go use 200 shekels of it to make a idol. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Number one, the priests were only supposed to be Levites. And this guy is consecrating. He's setting apart. He's making holy one of his own sons to fulfill an office that his son was not qualified to fulfill. So once again, you see that he's just doing what's right in his own eyes. You know, he wants to have a he wants to have a shrine. He builds himself a shrine. He wants to have a nice God with his mom's money that he stole from her that he gave back to his mom. He builds an idol just doing what he wants in his own eyes, what's right, and he's accomplishing it, and he's building a do-it-yourself religion. You know, he's just making it up as he goes along. And then he gives us a summary statement. What is going on? They're doing what is right in their own eyes. Verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They're just doing what they want the way they want. Then in chapter 17 through the very beginning of chapter 18, you have him drafting a priest. He's going to hire his own priest. So he set up his shrine. His son's now been consecrated to be his priest, which is against the Mosaic law. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah. Of the family of Judah, he was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. So he journeyed, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? So this young man was a Levite. He's living in Judah, but he's unsatisfied with Judah for some reason. And so he decides to move. And he just moves around, and he moves further north, and he comes into Ephraim. And Micah sees him and goes, where are you from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. It's very interesting. He has no purpose, right? He just kind of moving along, doing his own thing, looking for something that turns up, that provides him a good income, that takes care of him. He doesn't have a purpose. He doesn't have a direction, especially from God. Then in verses 10 through 12, Micah employs the Levite. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite. Once again, Micah does not have the right to consecrate the Levite. He has the right person, but we're going to learn later on that this guy's dad did not allow him to actually serve as a priest. He was a Levite, but he couldn't serve as a priest. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And so Micah finds himself a priest that's a Levite, and he's quite happy. And you understand his understanding of God from verse 13. He says, then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. He believes that he can earn God's favor. How is he going to earn God's favor? He has a Levite as his priest serving at his man-made idols in his man-made shrine for his do-it-yourself religion. It's just absurd, but this is where. This idea of everybody doing what is right in their own eyes leads Micah to. And that is where this young Levite is led to as well, where he does what is right in his own eyes. Then you have a summary statement, just like you had earlier, and that comes in chapter 18, verse 1a. In those days, there was no king in Israel, which is an interesting statement because they didn't have a king yet and up till now like if you're just kind of reading it without any context you'd be kind of like well so far kings have been really bad and you probably shouldn't have a king because Gideon was acting like a king and that was a bad thing for the nation right because he was accumulating wives he was accumulating wealth it was a bad thing but I think it's referring to an idealized king The ideal king would be drastically different from what Gideon was like. The ideal king would be drastically different from what Abimelech was like. The ideal king would be drastically different from all these previous judges who have acted like they were kings. Why? Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, and you see there what Moses tells the people their ideal king should look like. What are they supposed to be looking for when they finally decide that they're going to have a king and it's something very different from what they currently have Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 through 20 when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say I will set a king Over me, like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Okay, if the Lord God chooses the king, he's going to be submissive to the Lord God. Chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. He's supposed to write his own copy, transcribe his own copy, of the Mosaic law, and read it. Himself a copy of this law a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. The ideal king is a theocratic king. He's underneath God's rule. And so there seems to be this idea of the ideal king would set a standard. The ideal king would help people because he would be meditating on the law. He would know the law of God. That When he sees people not following God's law, he would tell them, you're in the wrong. You need to change. And so the text is saying they're not submitting to God. They're not submitting to a king who is enforcing what God wants them to submit to. And that's why it talks about this idea that there is no king in the land. It's not saying that just having any old king would prevent people from doing what is wrong in the eyes of God. It's saying a true king, the ideal king, one who follows the model of King David, would enforce what God wants people to do. And so the nation would prosper. People would do what is right. Then, after Micah set up this Levite as his priest, we have the nation, the tribe of Dan, looking for their residence, looking for their homeland. It's interesting. We started off the book of Judges a couple hundred years ago, Because that's how many years have passed since we started the book of Judges. It's been a long time. And what's going on? The tribes are looking for their homeland. They're looking for their tribal possessions. And Dan has never got their tribal possession. And so they're growing tired. They're wanting their possession. So they send out some spies to go look for their allotment. Where are they going to settle down? It's been a couple hundred years. It's time to find a home that they can call their own. And the first section is broken, in, from one uh, chapter one to verse tw- or chapter eighteen, verse one b to twenty six, and it describes the abducting of a priest and religious fixtures. And then there's another section after that. But I need to get back in Judges, because I'm not in Judges. And in those days. In those days, the tribe of the Danites were seeking an inheritance for themselves to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the chil- tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So the children of Dan sent five men to their family, of their family and from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Ashdol, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, Go search land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. And so... They develop this plan they're going to send out these spies they're going to look at the land and decide where to go okay and when they get to micah's house so they've journeyed a little further north and they're now in ephraim they recognize a voice and it it seems to me probably that they didn't recognize the levite young man's voice but they recognize the accent because this guy was from judah dan was staying in judah and so they hear this judah-like accent and they're like where's this guy from this guy's from where we were living who are you what are you doing here that type of thing not so much that they recognize this Levite as oh you're our buddy verse 3 while they were at the house of Micah they recognized the voice of the young Levite they turned aside and said to him who brought you here what are you doing in this place what do you have here and so they're they're interrogating him what's going on with you And the Levite praises Micah, okay? Instead of praising God, because you can't really praise God in this situation, but he praises Micah. He's he's lifting up Micah. Micah's the guy that's accomplished all this for me. Look at how well I'm doing. He said to them, thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. He's quite pleased with himself. He's disobeying God, but he's quite pleased with himself. And so they ask him for an oracle. They want him to tell them, about their journey. They're going on this journey. They're looking for their land. And they they come to him and they say, hey, tell us, are we going to be successful or not? What's up with this? Verses 5 through 6. So they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we will go will be prosperous. Is this going to be a good journey? Are we going to find our homeland? What's going on? You're a priest to the Lord. And what does he say? And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. This lost Levite that we just found out last chapter is wandering around aimlessly looking for a place to make home, right? This lost Levite now knows God's plan for the tribe of Dan. No, he doesn't. He never even asked. He just said what he wanted. He did what was right in his own eyes. He did not ask. He did not seek God's wisdom. He just told them, oh, yeah, it's, it's great. Go for it. He never even asked. The text tells us that he never, he didn't, doesn't tell us he didn't, but it doesn't say he did. And from everything else we know about him, we know he didn't ask. And so they go on and they bring back a report on a town called Laish. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians and they had no ties with anyone. This group of people are living as um, complete strangers from everybody else. They don't have any, any interaction with people. They don't have any... Uh, Danger, because nobody's their enemy. They're not anybody's enemy. They don't trade with anybody. They're just kind of hermits in their own little neck of the woods up north. And so the Danites go up, and they see this, and they're like, these people have nobody to come protect them because they don't have any allies. They're not expecting war because they're not a war-liking people, and nobody wants to fight them. We can go in. We can slaughter them and take over this land. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtol, and their brethren said to them, What is your report? So they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. When you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land, for God has given it into our hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. And so the report comes back good. It's a prosperous land. The people are not expecting war. We can easily go in and wipe them out and take over their land. And so they decide, yeah, let's go. This is our, this is our land. We're going to go take it. So they march out. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zor and Ashtol, armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and encamped at Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore, they call that place Mahene, Dan, to this day, theres there it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim, and they passed from there to the mountain of, mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. So they're marching up towards their, possess- their land that they're going to be possessing, and as they go, they get up to Micah's house. And then they're going to steal Micah's religious fixtures and priest. And so when they get there, The five spies know what's at this house. They've talked to Micah. They've got to know him. They know that he's a priest. He has multiple idols. And they're going to tell the Danites, Hey, this is located here. What do you think we should do about this? Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image, and a molded image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. The implied idea is, let's go take over this, and then we'll have our own religious uh, fixtures, our own religious leader, once we go up to our new possession. And what do they decide to do? So they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 armed men with their weapons of war who were, of the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. It's like a mafia scene. Like they're standing guard, they're going in, they're going to do what they want to do with 600 men men in a small community. Like nobody's going to stop them from robbing these idols and taking the priest along with them. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up, entering there. They took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. When these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household items, and the molded image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? It's like the most moral thing that the priest has done so far, asking them why they're stealing something. And that's about as good as he gets. He confronts them, Why are you stealing? And they offer him a better offer than he's got so far. He's doing quite well, right? I mean, he's got room and board paid for, plus 10 pieces of silver every year. He's doing okay. He's doing okay. And so they offer him a more pleasant offer. And they said to him, be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family in Israel? So the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image and took the place among the people. He's happy to join them. He's happy because he's got a better offer. He's going to be more popular. He'll probably gain more wealth. He's doing what is right in his own eyes. And what God cares about and what is right in God's eyes, he doesn't care about. And he's going to continue to take the the tribe of Dan down a very bad path. Dan flees from Micah then. They've just stolen his stuff, so they're going to run away. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock and the goods, in the front of them. That way, when Micah, with his band, comes to attack them, their little people and their livestock and the things that are easily attackable are in front of them, so Micah would have to get around um, the army before they could attack the young kids and stuff. When they were a good way, a ways away from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah house, gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And what happens next? Angry men threaten Micah and his family. Verse 23. And they called out to the children of Dan. This is Micah saying. So they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you? Why have you gathered such a company? This is uh, Dan speaking to Micah. Why why are you following us? What's up with the big group of people? What's going on? And his reply is quite interesting. He said, you have taken away my gods, which I made. That's interesting in and of itself. Who made his gods? He made his gods. Gods that you make yourself don't have much power to help you during all the trials that you experience in this life. But he made his own gods. And the priest that he consecrated, doesn't say that, but he said it earlier, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? The guy's... The guy's whole life was wrapped up in this do-it-yourself religion that he'd made. He was doing what was right in his own eyes, and he would got completely wrapped up in it. And so when he loses this, he's like, I don't have anything else. This is all I had to live for. How can you say to me, what ails you? It's obvious. You've stolen everything that matters to me. And what's their response to him? And the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us. Why? lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. It's interesting. The Danites self-identify as angry men. And they threaten him. We're angry men, and if you don't be careful with how you're even talking to us, We're going to kill you and all these people that are with you. They're doing what is right in their own eyes. But they then go and they take over the land, and that's what's coming next. And once they take over the land, they'll achieve religious independence, and they will have no need for Yahweh. Verses 27 through 29 they have an easy victory so they took the things that Micah had made and the priests who had belonged to him and went to Laish to a people quiet and secure and they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no ties with anyone it was in the valley that belongs to Bethrehab so they b- rebuilt the city and dwelt there and they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan their father who was born to Israel however, the name of the city formerly was Laish. Oops. <laughs> they have an easy victory at Laish. I hit the blank instead of the underline. How's that for a first? Easy victory at Laish. And what follows that? I did it again. Did I leave you guys? Or do you have blanks? Huh? Really? That's terrible. Establishing a false religion. They established a false religion. Then the children of Israel, uh, of Dan, set up for themselves the carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh. Manasseh there is probably actually Moses, okay? Whose line was supposed to be the priest's line? It wasn't Moses' line. It was Aaron's line. Aaron's line was supposed to be the priest's. And so this guy didn't have any right even being a priest for Yahweh if he was appointed in the proper manner. He wouldn't have been a priest because it was Aaron's line that was supposed to be the priests. Lots of Levites served, but they weren't all priests. And so this guy is completely stepping out of his bounds. He's forming his own religion. He's forming his own cult. And his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. This is the same group of people that if you read First Chronicles, you read about the troubles that they have in the northern kingdoms and how the northern kingdoms are always going after other gods and they don't serve the Lord. Why? In part because of this cult that was started up in the northern kingdom of Dan. And so his sons continue to serve the northern part of Israel, for as long as the northern kingdom exists, until they are taken into captivity. A couple hundred years. They just go off and do their own thing. Until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he had made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. And so it it brings out a question, like, what does this have to do with our lives? Because None of us are really probably tempted very much with taking 200 pieces of silver to the local blacksmith and making our own idol and setting it up in our house and appointing our son to be our priest. But do we submit to God's plan for worship? Do we submit to God's plan for worship? And you might might be thinking, well, yeah, I like the right kinds of music. I go to the right type of church. I really worship is far more encompassing than just what we do as a corporate group. Worship affects every area of our life. Are you remaining pure before God? Are you keeping your thoughts pure, whether it be sexual thoughts or other thoughts about lusting other things? Because we can lust all sorts of things. We could lust after cars. We could lust after houses. We could lust after a different job. We can lust and lust and lust until You might think that there's nothing else you can lust in, but then they'll come out with another cool electronic device that you can lust in that. Okay? What are you desiring? When you go to work, does your work ethic demonstrate a desire to honor and to glorify God? Does your work ethic demonstrate that you are Change that you are different from the world? Does your work ethic demonstrate that you have a desire to do what is right in God's eyes and not what is right in your own eyes? Because you guys know it and I know it. To be completely honest, it's really easy to go to work and to do what is right in my own eyes and to spend time unwisely and to not accomplish what I should accomplish at work. It's really easy. What about your home life? How do you interact with your spouse? Do you you interact with your spouse in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you, God? Do you interact with your children in a way that demonstrates that you have a high desire not only to interact with them in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God, in a way that God would be pleased, but when they look at your interactions with everything that we can interact with in life, all the choices of entertainment, Do they look at your choices in entertainment and say, my dad, my mom, choose this kind of entertainment because it is pleasing in God's eyes. It is honoring in God's eyes. Or do my mom and dad choose this kind of entertainment because this kind of entertainment pleases them and makes them happy? But when God looks at it, he's not really pleased with it. We don't get to choose how we worship God in any area. Okay, God has prescribed for us how we're supposed to worship Him in all these various areas of our life, whether it be our work ethic or our home life or our choices for entertainment. God has principles that guide us and sometimes direct commands that tell us how we're supposed to live our lives in these various areas. Are you and I... Submitting ourselves to seek to do what is right in God's own eyes. And, and what steps are you going to take to change, to grow, to become more like Jesus? It should include a commitment to reading your Bible. It might not be that you can read, you know, 10 chapters a day, maybe you can read one chapter a day. But if you spend one chapter a day and you actually think about it, that could be a lot better than reading 10 chapters a day. And you can do that by just reading it in the morning and then refreshing your memory by, you know, picking out one verse that really was like, wow, that's different. And then trying to think through how does that fit into the context of what Paul's saying? Or how does that fit into the context of this psalm? How does this psalm trying to tell me about who god is how i worship god how i should live my life today thinking about how the applications flow out attending and making sure that you're making it a priority to be serving to be spending time in prayer to be um, working in the local church to be attending services all these things are ways that help us to be Moving in the right direction so that we are people who are doing what is right in God's eyes and are not building a do it yourself religion where we just seek to do what is right in our own eyes. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to come and to look at your word. We pray that it would encourage us and that it would challenge us to avoid the pitfalls that come with seeking to live life according to our own eyes and our own desires. We realize that there are many uh, dangers that come with that, and we pray that you would help us to keep ourselves away from those dangers. In your name we pray. Amen.